0: This podcast is brought to you by the Creation Academy, an apologetics ministry designed to teach, train, and inspire others to become strong defenders of the Christian faith and biblical creation. Launching early 2019, the Academy offers video and audio training with downloadable course workbooks, expert interviews, and exclusive Q&A sessions with leading creation scientists and apologists, quarterly e-books covering a wide variety of subject matter and even a private Facebook community where you'll fellowship and interact with a like-minded community of believers. If you want to be notified when the Academy goes live and even help us design the experience from the ground up, head on over to www.jointca.co today and sign up for the wait list. You'll get early access to the Facebook group for free as a thank you right you're listening to the creation academy a weekly podcast defending the truth of God's Word in biblical creation science I'm your host Steve Schramm, and this week we want to uh, begin talking about an important subject. Stop shifting the goalposts. Stop shifting the goalposts. Now, if you kind of get the sense of what I mean by that, a lot of times when we get into these conversations with those who don't believe as we do, whether they be uh, other Christians, whether they are uh, unbelievers, a lot of times we have an issue getting across the meaning um, of the words we're using, getting across what we mean to say. And listen, this happens on both sides. This kind of confusion is is rampant, especially in conversations um, about creationism, but really in spiritual matters um, entirely. And um, I, I don't know why this is. I think it's Maybe some of the natural fruits of 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 postmodernism really um, I suppose is, is what we could attribute that to, and um, what what culture has begun to do is just to redefine words that uh, that carry meanings that are no longer convenient to the things that we want to believe to the convictions that we hold to be true about reality and So we just simply redefine what those terms mean. And I would love to be able to say that this issue is not one that plagued Christianity. It's not one that plagued creationism. But I cannot say that, unfortunately. This is an issue that has um, uh, infected our movements as well. And so what I wanted to do, and this is actually prompted by a question that came through in one of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of, and um, I-, I asked uh, the gentleman who asked it if he would mind if I used this question as a launching pad for one of my upcoming lessons, because I thought that that would be a really, really good topic to, to talk about. And so in addition to that, I asked for other definitions or other words and brainstormed some of my own as well, um, that, uh, that fall subject to this. And what I came up with, uh, is 14 terms and ended up doing a lot more, uh, putting a lot more into it than I thought. Um, and so that's one reason why I think this is going to be a multi-part episode. I highly, highly doubt that we're going to get through, um, with everything that we need to get through today. The other reason why that's likely to be the case is because we're going to start this lesson out with a uh, with an analysis of another debate. If you remember a while back, I forget exactly which episode it was, I think it was the late 20s, maybe 27 or, or 28, um, we did an evaluation of a debate. One of the Facebook groups that I'm involved with is a debate group for creationists and uh, evolutionists to get together and and have moderated debates and we did a debate um, we analyzed an deba- a debate that that went on in there uh, asking the question does a person who uh, believes in millions of years evolution can that person be a Christian or is, uh, is biblical Christianity reserved for the person who holds to a young age timescale? And we evaluated that debate, and I encourage you to go back. We, we spent the whole episode on that debate. Um, I, it's certainly not my plan to spend the whole time on this debate today. I I, I took some notes on the highlights. Um, they are detailed notes, um, but I expect maybe this will take, oh, I don't know, somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes maybe to get through uh, but we'll see who knows I could be wrong about that we could we could uh, really uh, it could take longer but uh, I think it works out well I think it worked out well because as it turns out my main critique of uh, the debate that we're getting ready to look at leads naturally into the issue that I wanted to begin talking about with this particular uh, subject matter as a matter of fact I actually completed the notes, the show notes, that I, that I, my talking points that I wanted to talk about in this lesson before analyzing the debate, so I didn't even know it was going to work out this way. But after analyzing the debate and, and then putting that at the front of the lesson, it, it works out perfectly. It's going to lead very naturally in what we want to talk about, and So that's what we're gonna do. So I imagine um, that that this lesson is probably gonna be a two-parter. We'll probably have uh, next week a very similar lesson to this, probably just the conclusion of this this episode. Um, But we'll see. All right, we'll go from there. So what I want to first do is begin analyzing this this recent debate that was had and. If you remember back to the way I did it last time, I'm going to kind of keep it the same. I'm not going to use uh, their actual names. Um, I have interacted, again, with both of these people in the group uh, before, and um, I think that they both sincerely... Hold on to their positions. Um, I have no reason to doubt their validity as as, as people. I don't know them well, um, or or their credibility, or however you want to say that. Uh, but I'm not going to use their names. Um, we're just going to use pro and. Khan, all right. Um, let me give you a, uh, and obviously pro would be the person who affirms the thesis of the debate, and um, con would be the person who disaffirms or or is is defending against um, the thesis of the debate. All right. Now, of course, the the debate at hand, uh, and I, I didn't write down the actual name of it, but the thesis that was. Uh, being defended was essentially, uh, or the question that was being asked, is should Genesis 1 through 11 be interpreted literally? That's That was basically the question. Should Genesis 1 through 11 be interpreted literally? Now I wrote down a couple general observations that I want to give you about this before we dive into uh, some of the actual talking points. The first thing I want to say <laughs> and it's so ironic how well this goes along with the subject matter is definitions, definitions, definitions. I, I put I think six exclamation points behind that in my notes here. Okay, we have to be clear when we're gonna whether it's a formal debate, whether it's a conversation over coffee, whether you're just having a casual conversation on on Facebook, wherever it is, if we're not first clear about what we are actually talking about, then there are going to be issues with how the conversation goes. There are going to be issues with what both parties take away from the conversation. It's going to determine whether or not any progress is made in the relationship, in each one's understanding of the particular subject. There are many things affected and it's amazing what how little can be accomplished let me put it that way if you don't first accurately define what is meant by the terms you're discussing and i think this debate just makes that so clear the thesis question you know that was that was being asked in this debate is should genesis 1 through 11 be interpreted literally but in at no point did anyone take the time it would have taken just a moment to define what was meant by literally and when we get past the debate portion and get into the first Definition of our actual um, lesson. I-, I chose to start with the word literally, so we could be sure to get a clear, uh, a real clear understanding of that. But um, with respect to this, when most people say that they interpret Genesis literally, they usually mean something like naturally. So I wrote down in my notes literal versus natural. What do we mean by literal? Do we do we mean literally, in that we take every single word of the text as if it must have a literal meaning? Or do we take it naturally? Do we interpret the passage according to its general literary style, which would likely include um, a little bit of room for other types of language to be used? Now, for some reason here in this debate, um, Pro did not seem clear as to, to the thesis that was being defended at all. And we're going to see that later on um, um, in, their, in their responses. But, uh, but for some reason, Pro didn't think that he was defending the thesis of that, that, that Genesis 1-11 through should be interpreted literally. He thought that he was to give scientific evidence. For, uh, for the literal interpretation. So, in other words, can you can you catch the difference there? He's he's not saying that um, that he thought he was supposed to be um, giving evidence for a literal reading in the sense that that we should have this literal reading. He thinks that he's giving evidence for the literal reading. Okay, so there's a difference there. Now, um, now, Con's opening remarks. Now, Con went first in this debate. I think from, from an analytic perspective here, I think Kahn's opening remarks fail <laughs> hermeneutically. I think they fail hermeneutically. Um, and that is that, to me, they're not attempting to falsify uh, a literal interpretation or, or what is usually meant when a creationist says that they are using a literal interpretation. Um, I, to be honest with you, I think that all cons, um opening remarks uh, uh, falsify is a poorly exegeted interpretation. Um, I don't know of, of, of any young earth creationist who um, would interpret Genesis 1 and, and some of Genesis 2 as pro-includes in his argument, uh, or Khan, excuse me, um, includes in his argument, Um that that would interpret the passages in the way that he has, and in a certain sense, that's his point. He's trying, but he's trying to press the definition of literal to a point that creationists don't mean. Um, so, uh, for example, he seems to argue that a literal interpretation cannot include other figures of speech such as um, metaphor. But think about this: Khan cannot hold. This position consistently, unless he's willing to claim that he never uses metaphor, simile, hyperbole, all any other of these features of sp- um, um, features of speech or figures of speech, I should say, in a context where he means to be taken literally. All of the time, we intersperse these different um, figures of speech and parts of speech. Um, in context where we meant to be understood literally, otherwise, we we all understand that. And of course, a little bit of that understanding goes into, you know, actually being a part of the culture of that time. So we all understand this. So I think that that Khan, in his opening remarks, is actually guilty of 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 holding the text to standard that he's not willing to hold to himself all right now I want to give you their general positions we're not going to analyze all the back and forth in this debate I'm just going to give you their general positions and then give you my thoughts afterward and uh, maybe speak a little bit about their position as we go through all right so Khan's general position now he went first all right Khan went first he asserts that pro is most likely selective in what he interprets literally Versus what he doesn't. And this is a common accusation against creationists. But again, it presses the text to mean something that creationists don't actually believe uh, that it says. And again, in a sense, this is his point. But um, it, it, it doesn't work. And let me show you why. So he says that Genesis 1.16, um, if taken literally teaches that right now there is a solid dome over the earth. Or excuse me, that's Genesis 1-6, I'm sorry. All right, he says that um, Genesis 1.16, if taken literally, teaches that the moon produces its own light. He highlights differences between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 as if they are chronologically narrated and therefore make contradictory claims. Another way people have put this, which I think is what he's getting at, is um, that, that they are two separate creation accounts. By the way, these are paraphrased. I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing all of these opening remarks. These are not um, verbatim. And he also says that Genesis 2.17 teaches that Adam and Eve would die on the very day they ate the fruit, yet they didn't. All right, now he also asserts that a literal literal, interpretation of Genesis was not popular in church history until the last 100 years or so. And he quotes guys like Origen, um, Augustine. He says that Justin Martyr, Cyprian of Carthage, and Irenaeus taught that Genesis days were each 1,000 years long. He asserts that um, Young Earth creationism only became popular after Morris's book, uh, The Genesis Flood, there in the sixties, and that Morris only got that idea from Seventh Day Adventists. Uh, by the way, you've surely heard all these before. These are these are all pretty common accusations um, brought. Uh, against young earth creationism. He also asserts that there are philosophical problems. and this is a new one I haven't really heard. He asserts that there are philosophical problems with um, many young age answers um, to old earth objections. For example, um, he says that uh, when, when young age creationists argue uh, for a changing speed of light, that maybe the speed of light had been different in the past, he says that... This is um, philosophically difficult because that would seem to suggest that God's not a God of order and that he needs to constantly tinker with his creation in order to get things right. So all of the above there was kind of a general overview of of Kahn's general position. Now, um, I'm going to talk about this uh, a little more when when I give the overall thoughts that I have here. Um, but hopefully you can see that none of these objections, um, are really attacking or, or, or they're attacking is a strong word, but it's the only word I can think of right now. Um, they are, they're going after a view of, um, creationism that no young age creationist really holds. And that's his point. Remember, that's his point. He says that we're likely selective as to what is interpreted literally versus what, um, what, we, what we would not interpret literally. Now, again, though, when it comes to this solid dome and the moon producing its own light, and differences between Genesis 1 and 2, Genesis 2.17 um, says they would die on the very day that they ate the fruit, all these. These are not objections. Now, he thinks they are. These are not objections to a literal understanding of Genesis, at least not in the sense that any reasonable person means the term. And none of these are even metaphor. These things are not we're not even bringing in other figures of speech here. This is merely defending against a, 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 a or or you know, attacking a poorly exegeted um, interpretation of scripture it just the scripture was not um um exegeted well here it was not thought through here it was not carefully understood and and read um the likely uh, the hebrew laying behind the scripture and the meanings behind the scripture was not interpreted properly uh this has nothing to do with a literal um reading versus a non-literal reading, strictly speaking. It just doesn't. Um, For example, uh, I don't have the Hebrew in front of me here, but um, Genesis 2.17, I know this off the top of my head, where it talks about Adam and Eve and and the day you shall surely die. The interpretation there, um, the actual meaning there is, in dying you shall die, or in dying ye shall die. What he's simply saying there is that you're going to begin dying. Yeah, it is a spiritual death, but it is a physical death. The process of physical death began. In dying, you shall surely die. That's what that means. So, um, had he understood Scripture properly there, he would understand uh, that he's not attacking a literal version or a literal reading of Scripture. He's just attacking poor hermeneutics. Um, he's, He's... if you will, he's standing up the straw man of a, of, of, of poor hermeneutics and um, assuming that this is the interpretation that Pro is going to be holding to. So there's that on Khan's general uh, position. Now, I also want to give you here Pro's general position. Now... Um, This is different because his official position in the debate is that he believes Genesis 1 through 11 should be interpreted literally according to a historical grammatical hermeneutic. And this I would agree with. Um, He's right on that, I I think. um, I do think we should interpret according to a historical grammatical hermeneutic. I think that a historical grammatical hermeneutic allows for what we actually mean when we say a literal interpretation. In other words, we take words generally in the plain sense meaning of the word unless there is reason— due to context or other factors to believe that the words should not be taken literally. Um, and otherwise we understand that everything that's happening is happening in the context of actual history. Um, this is how we speak to one another. This is how we expect people, uh, people, especially leaders and others who are addressing and, and those who are writing, um, when, when we understand the genre that we're reading, we understand that we're not reading poetry. We understand that we're not reading fiction. Um, then we expect it to be an accurate representation of reality, and that's what we mean by that. Now, he makes an 18-point case for his view, um, which, again, I am going to paraphrase. I will give you each point in the case, um, but I'm going to uh, paraphrase. So he starts here, number one, Josephus and and, um, and Usher, that's Bishop James Usher, interpreted these accounts historically, which suggests a literal interpretation. And Hebrew scholar James Barr is quoted as having said that none of his colleagues um, hold an alternative position, um, so far as he was aware. Number two, the size of the universe implies the need... For a creator with more power and energy than the universe contains within itself. God, number three, is an eyewitness to the events of Genesis 1 through 11. Four, distant starlight is a problem for old agers. Five, unreflected light may be instantaneous, according to Einstein. And if you're um, just For those of you who might not be familiar with with understanding it, according to Einstein, um, an unreflected light, those are different terms, but essentially what he's talking about here is the one-way speed of light. This is um, the Anisotropic Synchrony Convention. It's made popular by Dr. Jason Lyle. Number six, the Bible talks of a wet earth upon original creation. Number seven, Boyle's Law contradicts star formation. Number eight, lunar formation is uh, difficult for old agers under evolutionary assumptions. Pasteurization, number nine, contradicts abiogenesis. Ten, Darwin thought cells were simple, but they're actually quite complex. Eleven, planetary evolution lacks evidence. Twelve, the requirements for establishing an ecosystem requires a designer. Thirteen, lack of transitional fossils makes evolution, quote, and I had to do a direct quote here, an ad hoc fantasy, close quote. Fourteen, macroevolution is mathematically impossible. Fifteen, the current human population is too small for anything past a five to 6,000 year old Earth. Sixteen, lacking in geohistorical evidence for the geologic column. Seventeen, the Precambrian layer has pointed some scientists to a worldwide flood. And finally, number eighteen, peer-reviewed feasibility studies um, have demonstrated that Noah's Ark works, but its mythical competitors um, do not. Now, Pro argues uh, throughout the debate that this... Um, cumulative case put together um, answers the question that we should take Genesis 1 through 11 literally. Um, However, he has operated under the premise that he was defending a young age view scientifically, not the reasons for interpreting Genesis this way. Let's be very, very careful about the distinction here. If you notice some of his points, and now, again, this is the guy who's, whose position I agree with in principle, but if you notice, many of his points did not speak directly to the question of whether or not Genesis should be interpreted um, literally at all. Now, he gave some evidences against um mm-hmm an evolutionary interpretation. Um, So, essentially, he gave evidence against the position which he believes is leading others to interpret Genesis in a different way, Uh, but he's not giving direct evidence here for why we should interpret Genesis um, literally. Uh, For example, had, had I... Uh, been a participant in this debate um, a- a- and had been defending the thesis that yes we should take Genesis 1 through 11 literally I think first of all I would have defined what was meant by the term I would have made the uh, made it known how important it was to use proper hermeneutics and then I would have, demonstrated how other Bible writers actually teach us how to read the Bible in the way that they read the Bible. And by the way, Jesus did this as well. And we have, um, you know, the the, the medical axiom is, um, if it's got hoofs, it's probably a horse, uh, not a zebra. I think it goes something like that. The point is, um, the simplest explanation is usually the correct explanation right? Um, and I think that's Occam's razor as well, although I could be wrong about that. So uh, you philosophy guys, don't shoot me over that one, but I'm pretty sure that's what that says. All right, now, um, I-, I would have argued that Jesus and, of course, other writers from the New Testament and from the Old Testament give us good reasons for why we should interpret Genesis literally. Now, I might give some scientific evidence to go along with that that seems to support that interpretation but if you notice that all Pro really did here was give evidence against evolution which is in his mind what indirectly influences the fact that um, that an alternative interpretation isn't right. So it's kind of an indirect way of arguing for this um, and it doesn't really address the thesis at all. And this is what Khan pointed out. He pointed this out to him um, in in the debate. He said, look, even if you're right about this, even if evolution um, isn't true, it does not follow that um, Genesis 1 through 11 should be interpreted literally. And he's right. He's right. L- look at all the old earth creationists, um, some of which you listen to this podcast, who do not subscribe to what what we think is meant by a literal interpretation of Genesis because we think that if you take it straightforward and and naturally that it leads to the conclusion of six literal days okay um and yet they don't hold to evolution they don't um at least not biological evolution now planetary evolution and things like that they do um ultimately hold to because they um, typically subscribe to the Big Bang Theory, which entails all of these other things, Um, but Just take note of what's going on here, but there's a gap in in the connection here So I I gave some um, some overall thoughts here and uh, and we need to be wrapping up with the section So I'm going to kind of give you my 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 final thoughts and then who I thought won the debate Um, so In failing to um, properly define terms from the outset, uh, Pro defended his view um, as if Genesis should be interpreted naturally. And I think that's what he meant. But his rebuttals um, ultimately suffered from irrelevance as a result of, of his failing to make this clear. So... Rather than rebutting Kahn's arguments, he gave scientific evidence for a literal interpretation, but did not adequately give good reasons why we should interpret Genesis literally uh, or naturally. Now, despite admitting um, a confusion on this during the debate, um, albeit he did so by falsely blaming the admins, um, his approach never changed. He kept on going right through. Now, additionally here, and this is important, I really believe Pro could have won the debate in his very first reply, because there was you know uh, after after Con laid out his arguments, Pro had a a, a period of uh, of rebuttal, and I honestly think that in his very first rebuttal period, he could have won this entire debate. By simply exposing the inconsistency, um, by exposing that Khan was holding the Bible to a standard of of quote literal unquote uh, speech that he would likely not even hold to in his own conversations, this is called a double standard. Or in informal in logic, it's called special pleading. Essentially, uh, Khan is holding his uh, opponent here to a standard that he's not willing and i can't say that he's not but i would almost guarantee that he would not be willing to hold himself to his to that own standard in a conversation i don't think connor would ever admit that he was never that he has never once and never will use a metaphor or something similar or another figure of speech um in a context where he's otherwise meaning to be taken literally i mean if he's talking about Uh, And I don't know his situation, okay, but maybe he's got a son who plays soccer. And he says, yeah, man, last week at the soccer game, little Johnny and the Rockets absolutely obliterated the Steel Drivers. You know, I don't know, the other name of the team, I don't know. Okay, well, he's obviously speaking literally. Literally. About a game that actually took place last Saturday, and because of other context, maybe he's speaking to a friend who is already aware of the fact that he's got a kid who plays a soccer, who plays soccer, and who um, he knows the name of the team, and he knows his son's name, and all these other things line up, and yet he realizes that um, when when Con was telling him this, he didn't mean that the little um, you know soccer team pulled out AK-47s and literally obliterated or demolished the members of the other team, he means they destroyed them in, in the context that they won the game. And usually by using such, um, inflated language, he meant that they, um, won the game by a large margin. In other words, it probably wasn't two to one. You don't, Um, obliterate somebody and the score be two to one. Maybe it was 30 to three or something like that. Okay. He understood it was a hyperbole. He understood it it was an intentional exaggeration that was meant to speak to the nature of reality just in a different way. Now, it's likely that Khan uses this kind of language all the time, but ultimately, by pressing the definition of literal to what he means it here, he's, he's holding the text of the Bible to a standard that he's not willing to hold to in a coffee table conversation. So, um, I think Pro could have won the argument by exposing that um, first round, but he didn't. That's not what he did. Alright, now Khan, um, when when he gave his position, he's correctly arguing the thesis. So let's get that right. He, he's 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 correctly arguing the thesis from his perspective. However, um, I'm not willing to say that that his arguments go through um, o- on the basis that the word literal is almost certainly misunderstood by both parties in play here, or at least by Khan. Um, his rebuttals, although weak with respect to the available information, and we talked about this a little bit um even in his opening remarks. I mean, the available information out there about what creationists actually believe uh, is staggering, and it doesn't look like he's very aware of this, um, or he is aware and was just intentionally um, pleading ignorance on that. Um, so his rebuttals were weak with respect to the available information, but they were coherent. They were coherent, and they did serve to, um, to rebut the arguments brought forth by pro. Now, generally speaking, the um, interlocutors in this debate spoke past one another a lot. They did, uh, due to an unclear affirmation of the debate thesis. Again, they were not clear on what was actually meant by the term literal, and pro wasn't even clear on the actual thesis he was defending. He thought he was defending, scientifically, a literal interpretation. So each rebutted the other's points that they brought up, but um, never really gained ground as to the discussion. At hand now, as a um, a young Earth creationist, I disagree with many of Pro's arguments. Um, uh, he gave some arguments that I would never have given. He gave some um, some scientific interpretations and hypotheses that he developed on his own. He's not satisfied with the leading creation scientist answers to some of these things. Um, and so I don't agree with many of his arguments, um, even regardless of the fact that he was not defending the thesis, the right thesis. Um, I do believe that Kahn is sorely misinformed as to the scholarly state of some of the arguments both he and Pro uh, brought up. Um, but regardless, he did rightly point out that almost zero of Pro's arguments followed naturally to the conclusion that Genesis should be interpreted literally. All right, here's my conclusion before we move on. Therefore, um, I have to conclude that while I agree with pro in principle, I must disagree with many of his arguments. And, and further, I must admit that Kahn won the debate. I believe his arguments are theologically, hermeneutically, and scientifically weak uh, nevertheless, he coherently rebutted many of Pro's arguments and rightly concluded that Pro's arguments were disjointed um, from the actual thesis of the debate and uh, therefore irrelevant. So that's it. Um, look, I, I encourage the debate to continue on, to carry on. I... I, I don't want to discourage young age creationists from getting into these debates. I'm not much of a debater myself. I prefer to to be a spectator and review and give my thoughts, much like I do here. Um, I encourage you to get into these debates, but look, I really, really encourage you to be more careful with and I'm not necessarily downing on this guy at all, but just as a matter of general principle, we ought to be very careful with... Defining our terms as we enter into these conversations, we ought to be very careful with how we handle ourselves and maintaining integrity during these conversations. If we don't like how the debate's going, we don't get to just say that we thought the debate topic was different and that the admin switched it two hours before the debate when there is absolutely no evidence that that is the case. And that's what happened, unfortunately, in the course of this debate. I have a critique for the other side. I think that the um, old age creationists and and theistic evolutionists and whoever um, need to really get on board um, understanding where young age creationists are coming from because I think they're um, just not doing a very good job of, I mean, these arguments that, that, that Khan gave were ultimately extremely weak. Now, I'm disappointed that Pro didn't just point out how weak they were. Um, but these are things, I I mean, for instance, the church fathers, he brought up church history. Well, it is 100% factually just not true that young age creationism has only been popular within the church in the last 100 years. Con quotes two or three church fathers and thinks that that conclusively settles The fact of the matter, it doesn't, and most of those did believe in a young earth. Now, he was right to say that maybe they didn't believe in a literal interpretation. Actually, guys like Augustine um, thought that the creation was instantaneous, that it was carried out in the scope of one day, not six, okay? So there's, there's different nuances there, and that was largely... Um, cherry. I mean, you could cherry pick the data on that all day long. You can go back and find plenty of church fathers and reformers, as um, the uh, pro did in one of his responses. He he brought out the reformers, um, and pointed out what their beliefs on the creation um, um, event were, were, and also on their reading of Genesis. And so, just um, the point I'm trying to make there is: there are good answers to these things. The the these old. I mean, many of these are old, tired arguments against young age creationism. Um, there are some good arguments against young age creationism, and I would encourage uh, somebody to go out and learn what they are um, to to foster um, helpful and meaningful debate. But um, unfortunately, I think as long as the debates are uh, stuck uh, with, with straw men coming from one side and... Um, a a possible lack of integrity coming from the other side. Um, there's going to be problems. All right. So that's my thoughts on this recent debate. We will have another debate on um, this um, coming up soon. I don't know exactly when. Uh, about whether or not creation science is unscientific. And if you remember, we did uh, a short little mini series. Um, uh, called Is uh, Young Age Creationism Pseudoscience? We did that a few lessons ago, so I encourage you in preparation to go back and listen to my thoughts on that. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that this is going to be an exciting debate, and I can't wait to to hear it. All right. So with that, I want to move on. And uh, we're already 42, uh, 42, 43 minutes into this thing. So um, what I want to do is give you... Uh, the, uh, just some general introductory notes to this topic. I want to read for you the question that prompted this topic and then give you the first word, um, that is commonly misused or misunderstood because it's the word literal and it goes along so well with this debate. And then we'll pick up, uh, in the next lesson with examining the other 13 words. Okay. So, um, by way of introduction, I want to speak a little bit to the thrust of this ministry. Now, there are times when we get into some pretty scientific concepts. Um, Last week, we looked at the case for cosmological redshifts and analyzed a paper uh, by Dr. Danny Faulkner. And um, this is and I, I market this as, and, and and kind of put this out there, as a creation science podcast. And that it is. Now, um, if you know a little bit of the history behind Answers in Genesis, they actually used to be called the Creation Science Ministry and changed it to Answers in Genesis because they wanted to better reflect in the name that they were taking a, uh, a more holistic, more biblical approach to this thing and actually putting... Um, Uh, wanting to get the proper um, authority grounded in there in, in the biblical revelation as given by Genesis. In other words, they didn't want to be seen as an organization looking at things purely from a scientific perspective. Now, um, in a similar way, I did not call this the Creation Science Academy. This is a Creation Science podcast, and I, I market it like that. But it's the Creation Academy, so we look at all kinds of different things. And one of the main things that I want to do, um, my main contribution, what I wanted to be in this, is to help foster better conversation. Um, put simply, I want to make people aware of of the good arguments in favor of young age creationism and we talked about that before um I prefer to spend my time building up our worldview rather than tearing down another um with respect to the creation issue um I want to give uh, good reasons uh, to other fellow young age creationists for why we can be and help to highlight some of the recent research so um that's all well and good, but part of that, I want to help foster a better discussion because, unfortunately, I've found that many young age creationists are not very good at articulating their position in conversations with others, and a lot of times they don't take the time to think carefully through issues um, and... Uh, and maintain their integrity. As we looked at last week a little bit With um, w- when we looked at Dr. Faulkner's paper, he highlighted the fact that many creationists are so um, fervent and, and so um, excited to dismiss any uh, ties to the Big Bang that unfortunately they end up dismissing some pretty good, pretty obvious observational science in the process that um, makes us look uh, incredulous and and many times makes us look uninformed as to the current state of scientific issues. So we want to remain faithful to the biblical revelation, but we also want to make sure that we're not just dismissing things in nature without giving a proper um, examination and analysis of these things just because most people interpret these things to lead to the conclusion uh, or to lead to a conclusion that we would not hold. Now, so... Part of the way that um, I like uh, to see this characterized is in an organization called Stand to Reason. Now they do primarily hold to an earth, old Earth interpretation, but that's fine. They, I mean, they—it's um, unfortunate, I think, that they do. And we've talked about them a little bit before here on, in the past. That I think that I think that. Um, it should be taken more seriously. This issue should be taken and considered a little bit more seriously by them, but that's a discussion for another time. They they um, they have something that they call the ambassador model. The ambassador model, and it has to do with three things. They say an ambassador, and this is drawn from um, Colossians, although I can't remember the exact reference. I want to say it's Colossians chapter three, but I could be wrong. Um, they say that an ambassador an ambassador for Christ has has three things. Knowledge, wisdom, and character. Knowledge, wisdom, and character. Uh, Knowledge is an articulate mind. In other words, uh, thinking clearly through issues, not just spouting off whatever comes out of your head, but actually thinking about it and becoming informed about an issue before you enter into a conversation. All right. The second thing is wisdom, an artful method, an artful method, um, Speaking to others with grace, asking lots of questions, doing as the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15, giving an answer, but doing so with meekness and fear, or reverence and respect. Meekness and, and, or, um, gentleness and respect, however you want to look at that, okay? Um, I love Warren Wearsby's definition of meekness. It's power under control. And fear would be respect. Okay, so think about that. All right, and then character. An attractive manner. That is approaching these conversations with a genuine character. Not that you're trying to win an argument or that you're trying to win a debate, but that you actually care for the soul of the other person and what the other person believes and helping to correct where they're not thinking properly, but doing so in a way in which they would walk away believing that you were a person of character and integrity. And ultimately, integrity uh, really is the thrust. I mean, I want to see creationists um, get their points across, um, but do so with integrity. Understanding that while the Bible is our ultimate authority, and we do not uh, do science in the interest of proving the Bible either to be true or to be false— it's not why we do science. We do science because we're studying God's creation and we realize that God's creation is going to conform to what the biblical revelation says and therefore we do science to understand the mechanics of that. Even though that's the case, we need to not just dismiss things out of hand um, that, uh, that need not be dismissed because they don't necessarily uh, require uh, the interpretation that many give to it. All right, now, that's uh, what we do. What we do is to help people think clearly through these issues and help them communicate these issues more clearly. Now, let's look at some of these uh, definitions. Now, here was the prompting question. The prompting question. This was uh, from a gentleman. I don't want to give his name. I didn't ask permission to use his name, so I'm not going to. But here's what he says. One thing I've uh, observed through reading creation literature and its critiques Is the recurrence of the charge of falsehood and misrepresentation on both sides. For instance, in a debate between YouTube atheists um, Iran Ra and uh, Kent Hovind, it was stated that Hovind was deliberately redefining scientific terms to accommodate the creationist worldview and therefore misleading people one way to uh, one sure way to come across as false to astute and or well-trained opponents of Christianity is to use words that you don't possess the correct definition of boy that's true but manage to convince some who are less astute um, than you I'm referring primarily to scientific terminology, but this could refer to philosophical terms as well. Since the culture, uh, cultural redefining of terms is so prevalent today, and the aversion towards biblical creation is so strong, how does the Christian make use of terms as points of contact in a debate so as to not appear as a quote, word thief, unquote, and engaging in what Schaeffer called semantic mysticism. It seems yet again that the issue comes down to that of authority and the trustworthiness of its source. You know, I thought this was an absolute great question. Um, it was a well-articulated question, well-thought-through question. And the bottom line is that this um, kind of thing, he was re- mainly referring to when this happens, and Christians do it, but this kind of thing happens on both sides of the debate. Oftentimes, words are redefined to mean things that best uh, suit, the definition of the person, and this is why uh, Greg Kogel of, of the Stan Teresa Ministry that we, we talked about um, a few minutes ago. This is why he constantly presses that we ask questions like, "What do you mean by that?" If somebody starts to tell you, you know, starts to have this conversation with you about things that are either un- uncomfortable or 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 unclearly defined, just simply ask them what they mean. Somebody says they're a relativist, ask them, what do you mean by relativist? What do you mean by when you say that everything is relative? You know, things like that. Ask them what they mean to draw things out. And then you can help to correct those definitions. But you have to get clear on what things mean before you can move the conversation forward. Now, at the same time, you have to be open to the possibility that you are not right. You may be the one who's not using the correct definition. You may be the one who needs to be corrected. Now, I'm not suggesting that this is the case if, uh, in the case of a biblical definition, of course, uh, language uh, presupposes the Bible, ultimately, okay? And this is because it's a precondition of intelligibility. In order for us to understand each other, it's going to have to require a few things. It's going to have to require brains, hello, that are working and able to communicate with one another. It's going to require life. It's going to require the uniformity in nature. Um, It's going to require sound waves and everything and and particles in the air to react the same way in the same circumstances. This is why if you go um, underwater, you can't understand each other. What if air was like water is and its consistency such that you couldn't really understand what other people were saying? All right, so the our ability, our very ability to communicate presupposes that an intelligent designer was behind this universe. So I'm not interested in contradicting biblical definitions, but if somebody is defining a term and using a term in a way that is foreign to how you use it, then you need to get clear on why that distinction is there, make the distinction, try to get on some kind of a common understanding so you can at least speak in a similar way. Uh, understandable language when you're having these kinds of conversations. All right, let's look at the very first word, and then we're going to close out for today. First of all, I want to, especially because of the debate we analyzed earlier, I want to look at this word literal. Literal. Um, and I guess in context here, I'm really referring to what is meant, um, in, in creationist terms. um, This is a creationist podcast, okay? So that's what I'm talking about because literal is a word that is often very misunderstood by both parties sometimes in this debate. Now, there are six or seven available definitions of this on dictionary.com. And I chose dictionary.com just because it's simple. It calls sources from other places. And um, in any sense, I, I there are two definitions here that I think perfectly speak to this confusion. All right, the first definition is this. It's, it's this. This is what literal means. In accordance with involving or being the primary or strict meaning of the word or words, not figurative or metaphorical. So when an evolutionist then or or, or um, even an old earth creationist, possibly, says that creationists use a literal interpretation. A lot of times they are meaning that. They are, they are, now, now I don't want to get too off on a tangent here, but um, Hugh Ross, for example, would say that he also means that um, Genesis is literal history and yet we come to two very different conclusions. So whether that means he's inconsistent or whether that means he's not understanding the term properly, that, that, that's not the point I'm trying to make right now. I'm trying to say that when people accuse young age creationists of using a hyper-literal interpretation, this is the kind of thing that they mean. They mean that if we were consistent, we would interpret every single word as if it was not figurative or metaphorical. All right, now, a second possible meaning of the word literal is true to fact, not exaggerated, actual, or factual. Now, again, this is the definition that most people mean, most creationists mean when they say that they hold to a literal interpretation. Now, evolutionists take creationists to mean the first definition, When creationists think, this is important, creationists typically think that the evolutionists are taking them to mean the second definition, true to fact, exaggerated, actual, or factual. So by, uh, quote, literal, unquote, creationists really mean natural, straightforward, actual history according to a historical grammatical hermeneutic. We strive to understand author, authorial intent or it's often called aim, author's um in, the author's intended meaning. Not to press the text according to a presupposed outcome. We don't look at the Bible saying, all right, the earth is young. Now now give me some confirmation bias. Okay, that's not what we do. We don't presuppose a young earth and then read the Bible and and and, and, and in an eisegetical way understand the Bible to then mean a young earth. That's not how we do it. Now, writing on the Answers in Genesis website, uh, Tim Chapey gives us six very helpful principles to understand um, what we mean and how we should interpret the Bible. And I'm not going to carefully look at each one of these and, and, and go through them. I just want to give you, um, hopefully you can understand, just by me listing them out, what they actually mean, okay, what he's trying to get to. All right, he says, carefully observe the text. Carefully observe the text. Then he says, context is key. Number two, context is key. Number three, clarity of Scripture. The clarity of Scripture. Number four, compare Scripture with Scripture. Number five, the classification of the text. And then number six, look at the church's historical view. All of these things taken together can help us to get an accurate understanding of what writers in the Bible meant when they used certain terms and said certain Things And we might, I mean, that's a huge topic. I mean, we might need to do a whole podcast episode just on that, just on looking at those six principles and understanding how they help us to interpret the Bible. Now, Simon Turpin, he's another writer for Answers in Genesis, um, has really helpfully summarized this. I, I like this in something he wrote. Quote, Biblical creationists interpret Genesis 1 using the historical grammatical approach, which means taking the text plainly according to its literary genre. This approach understands Genesis 1 as historical narrative, which of course takes into account such things as metaphors and figures of speech, um, as can be seen in Genesis 2.23, Genesis 4.7, and Genesis 7.11. The plain meaning may be understood as, quote, the meaning intended by the human author as that sense can be plainly determined by the literary and historical context, unquote. Therefore, because of the negative connotations associated with a literal interpretation of the Bible in Genesis 1, it is better to say grammatical historical interpretation, closed quote. Right, so all told, then um, to say that uh, creationists are wooden hyper literalists—we've all been accused of this, right? I'm sure in these conversations, this wooden hyper literalism uh, to say that is nothing but a straw man fallacy. That's not what we mean. So we need to take the time in these conversations to define terms. If you're going to say and I'm going to suggest something different here in a minute. But if you're going to say that you're using a literal interpretation of Genesis, then be sure that you mean to tell the other person that that means that you take Genesis to be true to fact. Actual, factual, recorded history. To say that um, uh, normal, uh, normal language in a historical narrative, which um, takes into account metaphors and similes and other figures of speech. Make sure you're clear about that. Make sure that you're also clear that you are not using the definition, uh, the first definition, the strict meaning of the words, of the word or words, not figurative or metaphorical. That's not what you mean by that you take Genesis as literal history. And make sure that whoever you're speaking with knows that. Now, the above considered and for clarity's uh, sake, I suggest that we start using different terms. Uh, maybe we start saying natural. Maybe we start saying author's intended meaning. In other words, I, I uh, interpret Genesis according to the author's intended meaning. Or maybe we just simply say a historical grammatical hermeneutic. Now that might be a little bit harder for some people to understand, but if you're talking to anybody who's approaching this from a scholarly standpoint and in a debate, surely that language is acceptable a historical grammatical hermeneutic, or the author's intended meaning, or you take the text to mean um, to, to be read naturally. Maybe use words like that instead of literal. You still need to define them and, and and make them clear, but they carry a lot less rhetorical baggage, because the minute you say you take the Bible literally, or you take Genesis 1 through 11 literally, um, they oftentimes have already presupposed that you mean something different by those words. And um, and they use that, and then if if that's never made clear, you're never going to get anywhere in the discussion. So um, the word literal, sadly, uh, usually comes with a lot of historical uh, baggage that I think can be avoided if we start uh, considering that maybe we use some uh, different terms, all right? So that's going to be it for this week. We will... um, Uh, carry on next week, starting by defining the word science. And we've got 13 more terms to do. Maybe we can get through them all next week. Maybe this will be a three-parter. I'm not sure. But uh, look out next week for uh, part uh, two of this lesson. Um, Stop shifting the goalposts. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we love you and, and want to say thank you so much for the ability to serve you and the ability to read your word and to have your word, Lord, and to share it with others. Thank you for allowing us to um, take part in, in the good grace of the gospel and the good things of the gospel, as Jonathan Edwards used to say. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And most of all, thank you for revealing yourself to us, both uh, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, and then also through your word, And I pray now, Father, that you would help us to communicate, Lord, in a way that is um, meaningful and in a way that helps us to accomplish your great commission with uh, reverence and also uh, with a great respect for those who we speak to and also for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, I want to thank you again for joining me this week here on The Creation. Um, academy and we will see you next week again with part two uh coming up of stop shifting the goal post so we can get our definitions right and communicate with uh with grace and with respect see you next week thanks bye-bye